people. <laughs> Welcome to Love Babs. Love Talk on Babs Rose Ivy. I got some great news this morning. My dear friend Roger Van is thyroid cancer free. You know, he is finishing up a bout of uh, chemotherapy for prostate cancer. And now, you know, sometimes when you have a cancer, you get a secondary cancer. And so his secondary cancer was thyroid cancer. And now he's thyroid cancer free. Yay! Woo! Won't he do it? Won't he do it? So I'm very, I'm very pleased by that. So congratulate, congratulations, Roger Van, even though I know you don't not not one bit listen to me in the morning. But if somebody else is listening to me, tell him that I shouted him out this morning. I'll just tell him myself. I'm glad he is well. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I was texting my, my trainer this morning, Robert, who does not listen to me either. And uh, I'm about to uh, go back into the gym with him to weight strength train. I have to do something. I said I made a promise to myself that 60 that I would buy back some time. Um, um, I would buy back some time for myself uh, in my life with good health. And, uh, and I mean that, so I'm committed to this. So, uh, I'm going to, uh, 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 get back into it. And I, you know, I tried to go it alone. I tried to do stuff by myself and there are things that I could do by myself. Like I absolutely could do cardio stuff by myself, uh, but I, I haven't done it. Um, I don't want to strength train by myself. I want somebody to train me. So, so that's what it is. So I just have to, this is the commitment that I'm making. And, uh, and I'm about to go dry too. I'm about to give up all my drinking ways starting today because it's just not doing me any favors. As much as I love to drink, uh, I'm on medicine that doesn't it doesn't mesh well so the meds are not going anywhere so I guess the drinking has to go so you know I will still entertain my friends and make stuff for them but for me I'm gonna just do some other stuff you know make make mocktails or something so uh so that's what it is uh uh yeah uh so yeah so that's what i'm doing i'm just gonna i've got to start changing myself and this is where it begins and i can't put it off another day so here it is august 1st and uh i'm doing it that's it so and if i hem and haw and try to make a plan for when i'm gonna do it it'll just fall through so i'm gonna go to the gym today uh, I've got some work to do. Um, I've got some inner city work to do. So I'm going to do that. And then I'll put on some workout clothes. I mean, because I have the whole day in front of me. And then I got um, LSAT um, class. Uh, study group. So I got to do that. And I got some other stuff. So, so I've got to focus on the things that I really want to be doing instead of everything else. And I've been doing everything else. And happily so, don't get me wrong. I, I like doing all the things, uh, but now it's crunch time and I got to get into it. 
And I have some goals that I want to hit by the time I jump on the continent in November and jump back on the continent in September, in uh, next February. You know, uh, I'm in Martha's Vineyard next week. So, uh, so yeah, Harry, so I'm not here Thursday and Friday next week. I think it's next week. Yeah, next week, Thursday and Friday. I'm not here Thursday and Friday. This has been a janky summer. I'll be back on air on the 15th. I'll be back, be back on Tuesday because I don't get to ferry until Monday. So, which is fine. You know, I'm not, it's all right. So, so, you know, I haven't taken much time for the summer. So that's it. I took a couple of days last week, a couple of days next week, you know, that's, and that's my summer. You know, I don't have any other long plans. Uh, so I think the next time I take a big chunk of time would be November and then February, 2024. So it's, I think it works out. It works out. It's all good. So I'm gonna do my best and uh, try to do my best anyway. So uh, I have a guest this morning. Uh, I have a guest today and tomorrow. I've forgotten. So I meant to tell y'all yesterday, but I'm gonna tell you right now. <laughs> I, doc I got Dr. Uh, Keisha Winston coming on uh, at, uh, at 10.15. And, and she's gonna talk about cannabinoids. Uh, she's an expert in cannabinoids. So all the questions you ever wanted to ask about cannabinoids, she is the one. She is the professor of neuroscience uh, and psychology and biology at the University of New Haven. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, having that conversation with her. I, I really am. And, uh, you know, we'll... we'll, we'll uh, We'll talk about cannabinoids. And y'all know what cannabinoids are. Mary Jane. <laughs> so we can get all the skinny on. Uh, what's the best use of cannabinoids? Uh, who should be using cannabinoids? And the usage of cannabinoids, you know. And and has it gotten a bad rap? I'm asking all the things. Inquiring minds want to know. So that's that's my morning today. Tomorrow I got uh Let's see, who do I have tomorrow? I got to get my, I've got people booked. Leap, I got the Leap Camp folks tomorrow. So I'm excited to talk to them. They're like 20 years deep. So I got the Leap folks coming in. And then, uh, let's see, Thursday, I don't have uh, anybody. Oh, I know what I, I wanted to talk uh, about. Uh, there's some folks that I want to, I'm going to see if I can get them on Thursday, Friday. I need to make that happen. Because there's a, a new exhibit opening up with three of the, my most favorite artists in the city, um, Clinard, uh, Mickens, and Holloway. And they're going to be a city gallery. They have an exhibit at City Gallery starting uh, uh, shortly, next weekend. Next week? Next week. Or this week, sometime. I'll get more details. But anyway, they got a, they got a, a gallery exhibition coming up. And I want to get to talk to them before... Uh, you know, how does this come about? I want to know, like, were they sitting around talking about, oh, we should do a show together. Did somebody orchestrate this? Like, I just want to know. That's where I'm at. I'm, I'm in the knowing stage. I want to know just how you feel. <laughs> so I'm going to get into it. And uh, 
Uh, let me just shout out my girlfriend, Ife. She got a new, a new, uh, a new pad, and uh, and I like it. It's very, uh, it's, it gives me New York vibes. It feels very New York every time, the couple of times that I've been over there. So she's moving into a new space and uh, and I'm excited. So we got a new place to hang. Hopefully we won't be so rowdy. We get her like thrown out, but you know, we'll be cool. So and she's already doing stuff in it and she's moving stuff bit by bit. So it's, I don't even know if I should be telling people, but I think she's telling people, I think it's public now. So anyway, so it's exciting and, and uh, you know, it's it's all about her liberation trajectory. So this is all part of it. You know, we all have our liberation stories. So, and we're all moving and we're trying to move in our power about it. You know, I moved here. Uh, I landed here after a stressful not being able to find a place to live at a price point that was comfortable for me. And uh, and now I have. And so I've been here three years and, uh, and I, I'm happy. You know what I mean? Like I'm happy, and uh, and at some point I'll it'll it'll reflect the the space will reflect my my true self. But right now, you know, I, I cleaned up the. I can walk through the dining room that is my dressing room at the moment because my daughter is here, so I feel much better. Because before I just couldn't see my way around because there was so much stuff everywhere. But now I'm like, okay, I walk in here. I'm not. My head doesn't spin. My kitchen is. I have a big big kitchen which is nice, but I don't cook in it. So uh, that's one thing. So we'll, we'll figure it, we'll figure it out. We, we will, we will figure it out. So uh, we'll figure it out. I can't complain. Life is good. <laughs> life, life is good. Life is good. So, um, so yeah, I mean, this is where we are. So it is, uh, Tuesday and it looks like another beautiful day in the Elm. I don't know what's happening news-wise. Last night I spent some time at Possible Futures bookstore for the uh, Fred Hampton poetry workshop, which was really, really nice. I got to met, meet, I got to hang out with some women that I don't ordinarily hang out with. And I got to meet a new woman who moved to town about three years ago. And she's just, you know, making inroads um, here. Uh, so it was really nice you know, having this conversation about uh, Fred Hampton and writing poetry in relationship to. But one of the, one of the exercises of the poetry was, um, what, what would you want people to say about you at your 75th birthday? Uh, and there were some young sisters in the room that were, who won't see 75 for another 50 some years. And I won't, and you know, it's very sobering to know that I will not be alive when they grow up, when they get older. I just, I won't. I'm not going to live another 50 years. I'm 60. You know, and everybody talks about living to 100. I never think about that. I really do not think about living to 100. My goal is to get to 75 and see what happens. And then, and then, you know, because it, it was, it for me, it's a miracle to get to 60. <laughs> Because yeah, yeah, there was moments, <laughs> there was periods of times where I, I 60 is a, is a real gift. <laughs> so so I, I can't imagine living to 100. First of all, I don't want to live in a world without all of my friends. I just don't. Uh, and I don't want to live in a world without all my, my, my siblings. 
you know but my children are young so they would be around but i don't i don't want to be 100 years old in a wheelchair and that kind of stuff so 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 i'm not saying i i i won't live to 100 i'm saying i don't want to live to 100 if it requires me to whatever but I, but this is what i know about life life is so precious to us that when we are faced with moments uh we choose to live 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 do you know what i'm saying like I, I may say I don't want to be in the wheelchair, but if the wheelchair is the option, I will happily be in the wheelchair and be taking my breaths. <laughs> That's the point that I'm making. So, so I don't think about living to 100. I think about living right this moment. I'm 60. Uh, I want to get through this decade. I want, I want my 60s to be fabulously prosperous and abundant and wonderful. And I know I'm in this age cohort where I'm going to start losing people that are near and dear to me because we're we're in this this is what happens this is the natural order of things um so so i'm i'm thinking about that um and if i could get to if i could get to the 70 mark and i know friends i have friends who are 70 and they are vibrant i have friends who are 80 who are vibrant now i have some friends who are 80 and 90 who are not vibrant but i have friends who are vibrant so this is why I need to step up my healthcare game so that I can get into these 60s and be strong, you know, be strong. And, and the only way to do that is to just get into it. Just make the investments. Just make the investments in my health. You know, I, I wish I could say, well, I could do this by myself. I really can't. <laughs> I need guidance. I want somebody to challenge me. I, I need it. And if I have to pay for it, then that's what it is. That's the whole point of, of living the kind of life that I want to live. That is the whole point. So, so that's where I'm at, good people. <laughs> you know, that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. So so I, I got up this morning with a, a real sense of uh I've got to uh think about things a little differently. And uh and I've been uh I've been putting it off for uh, a minute and talking myself into whatever. And now all the talking has to stop. And that, you know, and that's the, that, that is the joy about a level of self-awareness that I, that I like about myself, that I know when I have to shut up and put up, that's it. Just shut up and put up and, and no more talking. <laughs> Cause my, my, my black ass will talk myself out of, Oh, well, I don't really talk myself out of, you know what I do? I talk myself into planning further down the road where I'm in the moment right now. And this is the moment instead of talking myself into a, some mysterious moment down the path, down the garden path. So I'm like, listen, this is it. So I'm gonna step up my mocktail game because I have to, I have to stop drinking. Not, I don't have a drinking problem. It's just that the, 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 the way that I like to drink and this new medication is not sitting well with me. It's just not. So, so I just have to cut it way, way back. So I, one glass of wine, one beer, one cocktail, you know, not three, just one or the other. And then just let that be that. That's how I have to roll. That's it. So now I don't have to talk about that no more because I'm very clear about it. Now I got to get my ass to the gym. And once I start getting to the gym on a regular basis, 
And it's in West Haven. Going back to full fit to my friend Robert. I'm going to pay him a pretty penny. That's what pennies are for. You know, that's what pennies are for. So I'm going to pay him a pretty penny and I'm going to go and uh, get my ass weight trained. Because uh, I've got to get into this. Because I said, um, I said uh, that, that uh, this is what I wanted to do. And so I must go and do it. You know. I'm going to go do it. So that's where I met good people. I'm feeling that kind of energy. I'm going to go get my hair cut. I'm going to get it all cut off. Uh, the purple wears out so quickly. But I think I'm just going to make an appointment and just have uh, Mr. Omar. It's like, Omar, take it all off. Take it off. Take it off. Take it off. Take it off. So, you know, take it off. Take it off. Take it off. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm feeling good. It's a lot of work. Of course it is. Uh, but I'm, I'm no stranger to hard work. And uh, I got to see some wins, uh, some personal wins. I've seen a lot. You know, uh, I'm going to see some wins. So there's a piece of, on, uh, I don't even know if this is true, but. Uh, last week it was reported that every single soon-to-be eighth grader at LeBron James I Promise School has not passed the Ohio State math test since their 2018-2019 school year. I I could tell you what that was about. Uh, following the reports of Ohio Public School, which opened in 2018 to focus on at-risk students and reportedly cost $8 million in taxpayer money, is now responding to the discouraging test results. Well, I mean, I, I, this is what I think, and this is what I know. Um, it was probably very challenging for these kids to come off a pandemic, and every school in this country was shut down. And it's very difficult, particularly with kids who are already not proficient in things, to have to sort of get online and do all this work. I Listen, I, I bet you if you look at all the test scores across this country of children during this pandemic, test scores are abysmal. I know it. So, and I, I know that the, this COVID stuff was tough. And you know, here's the thing, kids going home. And I found this out in New Haven, which I was struck by, struck that there were so many kids that didn't have access to a computer at the house. Or if they, um, if they gave, if kids, so, they, so schools had to scramble to give them notebooks and tablets and all this kind of stuff. And then they come to find out kids didn't have Wi-Fi at the house. So it was it was a snowball effect. There was no Wi-Fi, and so if mom if mom had a cell phone, she was the one that had like some limited Wi-Fi or parent whoever the parent was, and kids was logging on to parents' cell phones trying to do work. I mean, it was just a whole thing. So then, um, uh, Wi-Fi provider stepped up and said, "Okay, we're going to make zones and hubs and all this other kind of stuff to provide Wi-Fi." But it took some time to figure that out because you don't know that until you're like, you start to see the pattern of, well, why are these kids doing their work? Why are they not here? Why are they not logging on? Why are they not? And then you find out, well, they can't log on because there's no log on. So I don't think this is a heavy lift. To, to, it's not a heavy lift to explain, um, you know, how, 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 uh, 
how kids um, uh, were affected by by this pandemic. And we still have years to sort of see uh, the 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 some of of the fallout from this pandemic on education, particularly younger kids. I mean, their social social stuff, social their social interactions failed them. You know, the mental health stuff, all the things. So we're going to be dealing with this for quite some time. So I, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be like, oh, ha ha ha, look at this. I bet you there's schools in Ohio that all the schools. Yeah, sure, you pick on this school because this school was touted as such a prized school. But listen, no school could overcome the pandemic. Not near one of them could overcome the the effects of the pandemic. So I think you know, I think I think we have got to get into the spirit of what can we do? What can we do to 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 help um, um, put some gains back after the pandemic, rather than oh, oh look at this, look at this. Because, you know, if people come at it with, well, we spent $8 million of our tax money on this. You know how much tax money you spend on some other things in this country that you don't say not near thing about. So many other things that your, your tax dollars fund, all these slush funds by these congressional leaders, you know, that you don't open your damn mouth about. You know why you don't open your damn mouth about it? Because ain't nobody checking for that stuff. You just like, oh, my tax money, oh, for school and education is a sham and oh, propaganda. All right, that's that's the narrative that the crazy right white wingers want you to tote. That's the piss they want you to tote. And people readily tote that stuff. And then they recited like chapter and verse like the Bible. <laughs> I'm like, where are you getting this information from? How do you even know? Did you check? Did you go into schools and see? Are you talking to people? How do you know? So I'm not going to worry about that. They're going to address the backlash. Y'all, they'll be fine. They will be fine. There's no school in America that was not, did not feel the, uh, the, uh, the effects of this pandemic. And I just know by what we see here, what we saw here, in New Haven was uh, uh, so challenging and still challenging. <laughs> so, so very challenging. So that's all I'm saying. Listen, go easy people. You know, our kids need our help. I, I wish people cared more. And by people, I mean all the crazy people that just think education is not necessary. Because you have to think education is not necessary when you want to ban books and curtail teachers, you know. If every teacher in this country walked out of classrooms today, what, 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 what do you think is going to happen? Some of these dumbass parents are not equipped to teach nothing. Nothing. And I'm going to tell you what, what's going to happen. The parents that know how to rally and get support and teach their kids will do it. And they will put in the proper educational components that they know is, is appropriate for their kids. They're going to do it. And the dumbass parents, their kids are going to be left behind. And you know where those, those kids are going to be? They're going to be working for lowly, low, low wages. Black, white, otherwise, low wages. Low wages. And, and if that's not frustrating enough, the, the prison to pipeline is still a pipeline. The school to prison pipeline 
is still a pipeline. It's still very much with us. <laughs> it ain't go away. <laughs> it did not go away. And so I don't understand how people don't understand the correlation between if you can't read by the third grade, guess what happens? They, the states are already thinking, well, this is how many prison beds we need because this is going to affect how they are in the world. This is how they, it's going to affect them. And, and, and ain't that much saving grace. I, I don't know what people were thinking. I I I I want my I want I always wanted my children to have the very best education that I could afford, that I could put in front of them and around them. And they and and some of them still made stupid ass choices, but it, it wasn't because I didn't put stuff in place for them, and it wasn't because we didn't give them a foundational uh uh uh, uh a moral compass and a and a foundation of of doing the right thing. It wasn't that, you know. There's so many things that vibe for children's attention. People make mistakes all the time. And so, so when we say, uh, you know, we see young people making bad decisions and choices that could change the trajectory of their lives, we have to sort of, we have to start asking ourselves, uh, like, what, what, and, and it's got to be on a case-by-case -case basis. And I know for some people that's like, oh my God, that just takes forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But it really doesn't. Because I don't think we should be arbitrarily throwing away children. I think we have to figure out ways to engage them and, and dole out punishment that merits and meets the 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 crime. The the, the crime. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think we have all the tools to do it. We just have to have the will to do it. That that's the point that I'm making. Because I think I think there are some kids who just go along to get along and are not manipulative, but or not criminals but they hang around criminals you know people who don't care about themselves and their environment but there are kids who go along to get along because sometimes it's it's uh it's a decision you make to keep yourself safe do you know what i mean to be on the fringes of things to go along uh, but not necessarily and everybody want to say oh where they should make different decisions. I mean, adults can't even make them got those kind of decisions. Adults can't even choose the right thing to do all the time, uh, because if if they if they did, then you know, family courts wouldn't look the way they look. You know, divorce rates wouldn't be high, and and you know, uh, abuse cases wouldn't be you know flooding courts. I mean, you know what I mean? Like adults can't even get it together. And so we expect children to be better than we ourselves are. And that's unfortunate. So, so when they get into trouble, we have to ask ourselves, okay, how do we deal with this? How do we holistically deal with this? And look at all the mitigating factors surrounding it. Like, okay, where you come from? Who are your people? What did you, what was the values at your house? Where school did you go to? Let me see your school records. Let me talk to your peoples. Let me talk to the neighbors. Let me talk. You did you go to church or synagogue or somewhere? Let me let me let me find out. Give me a picture. And I know that they do this. You know, is there? Am I seeing a pattern? And sometimes when you see a pattern, it doesn't mean like, oh my God, they're on this path. Let me throw them away, get them out of society. Sometimes the path is, oh my God, we failed to intervene at the very beginning of this train wreck. And now here we are at another station with more, with a whole laundry list of stuff that has been done 
because no intervention happened. Or if there was intervention, it didn't go deeply enough to cure or remedy what the prevailing issue was. And I know this is a lot. I know this is a lot because we have an over, overworked system. You know, um, we don't have enough attorneys. We don't have enough social workers. We don't have enough mental health workers. Schools are exhausted. They don't have enough administrative people to put in place to monitor. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm not, this is not a blame. It's a, it's a societal blame. It's not a specific blame on any one uh, 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 entity out there. I, I cannot, I cannot heap the walls of our children on school systems. That's only one part of the problem. I cannot heap the woes of children on parents. That's part of the problem. I cannot just heap the woes of children on community. That's part of the problem. But if you bring all the pieces together to make a whole damn pie, then you could sort of say, all right, I see where the disconnect and the breakdown and the challenges are. And so what can we put in place at these breakpoints to sort of cure or remedy some of this direction. And it takes a lot. That's a lot. But I'm telling you, if we don't do this, we're just going to have more of the same. And we need leadership that can speak to this, you know, because everybody wants punitive retribution. They want, oh, lock their asses up, throw away the key. Oh, but you know, nobody goes to jail forever. And I don't know. And if we're not equipping, if we're not empowering and equipping prisons and detention centers and jails to sort of say, all right, you got a captive audience, pour into them what they didn't get outside. But we don't want to do that either. Why should they get all that? If they didn't get in trouble, they wouldn't be in here. Now they're going to benefit from an education that my kids don't benefit and my kids walk the straight and narrow and my kids are not in trouble and my kids don't, don't get this premium education. You see, you see what I'm see? You see how crazy we think about society and community? Not, no one is thinking, damn, I want them to get the very best education because I, I don't want them to come out here and knock me upside my head and steal my purse. Or I want them to not have a revolving door present. And then at some point, you know, the, the revolving door shuts and here they are out on the streets at 40, 50 years old with no skills, no opportunity and no place to live. See, we have got to shift the thinking, but we need leadership. We need honest to God leadership that can talk this talk, regardless of the fact that they get elected for it or not. Somebody has to have these kinds of conversations, real talk. And, and, and if people make it political, then take it to the damn stage and let it be political. And it's, let somebody stand on it. Let either let a politician say, I can't fight for that because it won't get me elected. I don't give a damn about community, kids, school, none of it. Say that so that everybody else can vote accordingly, right? Don't hem and haw. Don't get out there and be like, well, 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 possibly, well, maybe. No, say what you got to say. Tell the truth so that people can make, make their, their, their votes count. Because I'm, I'm willing to listen to somebody stand up there and say, I, you know what, we can't do this. I don't have the, I don't have the capacity to build for that because I got to raise money and get votes. 
We don't want to hear that though. We don't. And it takes courage. <laughs> it takes it takes a lot of courage to walk in truth. It takes a lot of courage. It's not for the faint of heart. It's just not. And I know we all desire uh, leadership to do that, but they're not going to do it. Not, not, not gone are those days because uh, they, uh, it's too much. They want too much and not enough, which is problematic. So, so a lot of these problems that we are dealing with can be solved. There's no problem that cannot be solved. But we don't have political will and community buy-in and truth-telling. You know, we just don't have truth-telling. It's going to cost it's going to cost money to clean up our school systems. It's going to cost money. It's going to cost money to to clean up our industrial prison complex center centers. It's going to cost money, but we don't we don't want to pay that price. But I'm going to tell you, this is what I know. You pay it on the front end, you pay it on the back end, but it's all going to get paid, you know. And we can't, we can't, we can't keep, we cannot, we cannot thrive and keep going in, in the ways that we're doing. We just can't. And I don't, I don't if I, let me tell you, I wish that I could have prison reform. I wish that we could have honest to God prison reform. That, that, Prisons would be a place of, of advantage and not disadvantage. That prisons could be a place where people could really get, be poured into. That they did it, what they didn't get at, as children, they could get now. That they could get real supportive work. And listen, there's always going to be a segment of population that we cannot do anything about. I don't know what we could do about pedophiles. That's a sickness I know nothing about. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what we could do with them. I don't know. I don't know what we could do with, 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 with white supremacists. I don't know what we could do with them. I don't know. You know, I, I just don't know. There are just some things that might be out of range, but it doesn't mean we can't try, right? Like it doesn't mean that we can't solve for X. Remember that from, from, uh, from math class, solve for X? It doesn't mean we can't solve for X. It just might take longer for a solution than we are willing to put the time in, you know. Um, and and you know, we we there, I mean, I think there's critical things. We we've got to take care of the education system in this country. We have to, and it, and it can't just be because the elite schools, the moneyed schools, the tuition schools, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna put in all the things that they they're gonna read the T and put in all the things that's necessary to turn out world leaders. They are. It's expected. It's not expected at the inner city rural level. At the inner city rural level, they just want to get kids out. There's no expectation of them being leaders or whatever. It's like, we want to, we want to, we want to put workers out there. <laughs> we need workers. We need workers out there. So, so, so that, that right there poses a problem, right? Because the things that 
the things that world-class schools, and I'm talking world-class elementary schools, high schools, and colleges. You know, I, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always find a suspect that, you know, they'll, they'll go and say in, in poor and brown communities, get a trade. And I'm not against a trade. You know why? Because I went to a vocational technical high school. I have a trade. I learned a trade. Culinary is a trade. Despite all the glamour that it, it, it gets now and how, how highfalutin culinary is and how chefs are rock stars. It's a damn trade. <laughs> it's a trade. So I'm not against the trade. It says serve me well in my life, you know, but I also went to college. I've also gone to college, master's degree, bachelor's degree, master's degrees, additional degree. I've done that. But they don't like to have these kinds of conversations with, with, uh, with the with the poor 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 communities in those schools, because those those kids get funneled to the military, those kids get funneled into warehouse jobs. And this listen, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm, that is this is not the point of this this conversation or me talking about this. That's not it. It's just that there's a different set of rules depending on your zip code that happens in this country. You know, there's a, there's a different set of expectations based on zip code that we don't talk about, you know, that we don't center. So, so that's, so that's my point. I'm making that point. I don't have a problem with both vocational education, technical trade education. I don't. I graduated, my sister graduated, my brother graduated, my youngest brother graduated. And we've all went on to do, have productive, wonderful lives. You know, with the, some of us college, some of us other things, but, you know, uh, my brother Mike is a, is, a, is a machinist, retired from one job, retired from two jobs in his lifetime and is working on his third because he came right out of high school and worked for 20 years and then worked for another 20 years somewhere else. So I, I get that. What my, my problem is, is that those conversations that I have at other zip codes don't exist in some zip codes. You know, I, I know ain't nobody in Westport hearing nothing about sending their kids to the military. I I, I don't hear it. They, they might be, somebody could correct me, but not at the rate that they do it in poor brown and black communities. You know, ain't nobody in Westport telling kids to go to technical schools. And, and I'm sure there are a bunch of kids probably in Greenwich and Westport and all up in that part of the state that uh, could benefit from technical schools. But that's not the first conversation that they're having. Their first conversation is where we, where, we, where we going to school, you know? And if we can't get you into the Ivy League school, what's the next tier? What's the next, what is the next, right? Those are the conversations that are happening. 
we don't have we, no one no everybody frowns on us when we say and then they start in this i only hear and i swear to you i only hear these conversations in our neighborhood well college isn't for everybody how do you know how do you know you don't know until you go you don't know you have no idea if college is not for you until you go until you go I remember my son, my oldest son graduated from Common Ground and he was like, I said, well, what do you want to do? He's like, mom, I don't want to go to college. I don't think it's for me. I said, well, how do you know? Well, I didn't like high school. I was tired. I'm sick. I want to do work. <laughs> now I couldn't make him go to college. I couldn't make him do anything. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make him. So, you know. And it's unfortunate because this is what I know. At some point, he's going to come back around, entertain this college idea, depending on the career choices that he makes. You know, but he, you know, but he's he's caught up right now in a, uh, doing some amazing stuff, working, holding a residence, uh, because you know he got caught up in some federal uh, uh, committed a, a case, uh, federal got a case moving through the federal system, and I hope it goes favorably for him because. He's really a, a decent person. He just was caught up with the wrong people, absolutely the wrong people. And 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 I don't I don't think we spend enough time understanding that level of belonging somewhere. You know that 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 belonging, and even if it's bad for you, this level of belonging. And I bet you there there are probably books on this, you know, and not just for poor black and brown kids but for a lot of people that's why people are you know get caught up in relationships that don't serve them this this idea of belonging to something or someone um to to in 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 it, because there's a hole in you whether it's a fam familiar hole or community hole or or some kind of hole uh that never was filled and never was addressed and there's a lot of wounded adults walking around with holes in them because they don't know how to give themselves what they need. They don't know how to give themselves what they need. And they are still looking for the, 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 the one that dealt the wound to heal the wound. And, and it never works like that. You know, if somebody shoots you with the gun, the gun doesn't heal you. <laughs> putting, the, putting the gun on the wound is not gonna heal the wound. <laughs> Somebody stabs you and 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 then and then wants to make amends, them coming back and putting the knife on the wound is not going to heal the wound. It's just not. That's just not how that works. So people have to, you know, people have to sort of get to a place where, you know, they, they might not get closure to things. They might not get the apology that they've been desperately waiting for. They might not even get acknowledged that harm was done to them. Do you know what I mean? And so people walk around wounded, 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 and not knowing how to heal that wound. They don't know how to sew. They don't know how to suture that 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 gap. They don't know how to take care of that. And they don't know how to pour love into that for themselves. They keep waiting for some magic to come and pour the, pour, pour the light into it for them. But you know, you have two hands. You could make, you could, you could pour the light yourself. But no one, we we don't we don't tell people that, you know. 
we don't tell people that. Um, and and it's it's tough. So so I see it with my son. He came with a hole in him. He came. He was adopted at five, which is pretty old for a kid to be adopted out of the foster care system. And he came from great harm. And uh, and that's a wound that we couldn't fill, you know. And try as we may, and try as we might, and try as we have, um, there was a wound there. And now, listen, we put him in front of all kinds of therapeutic settings um, so that he could at least have some sense of understanding. And I, I don't think he's done. I think he need more therapeutic supports. But he's a grown-up, and so he gets to make his own decisions. You know, it, it, here's the thing. Parents only have a finite amount of time to make decisions on behalf of children and after that they get turned loose and you cannot make decisions about them moving forward which i think is unfortunate i think you should have some say over uh, a kid until they're 21 25 yeah i I know that sounds distasteful but if i could have had listen you're going to go to therapy i don't give a damn about you the law says i'm you 25 and i get to say you know I, I I would appreciate that, but beyond that, though, uh, I I don't know, I don't know. So so we I say all this to say, you know, I, the two things, the two places where the three places where I think most healing needs to occur is education, the prison complex system, and community. You know, I I know people probably would think, oh, why why not family first? Because family is tenuous. Family is challenging. And sometimes you have to step outside of family. There are some things that happen in families uh, and dynamics that happen in families that just have to be third to, to be dealt with. Because you have to take care of your personal healing before you can go and deal with generational healing. Because things that happen in family has been happening in family for a long time. And it's not going to get resolved with the two, with a bunch of group sessions. But you yourself can get yourself poured into through therapeutic stuff, creating a community for yourself outside of your family and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, spend some time reading some damn books. That's how you get free and get healed. Uh, and it takes time. It takes a lot of time. You know, uh, it takes a lot of time. So thank you, Karen Healy, for this for this article. Because I, I think about this. I think about this all the time. I think about I think about how we how we um we have certain conversations based on zip codes with some kids and some kids. And then there are, and then there are some families like my 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 kids, both their parents, my husband, my ex-husband and I, we both are uh, collegially educated and master degreed. And uh and I'm about to pursue another damn degree. You know, so so they didn't so they didn't grow up not knowing. But, you know, what makes my children unique is that they 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 are foster children and that 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 is just another dynamic on top of the family dynamic that that requires a different a different uh uh it requires a different addressing you know um because they've got so many other things that they 
have to overcome before they start thinking about all the stuff that we wanted to put in front of them. Um, you know, I give my daughter Brianna a lot of credit. She went down to Bennett and she stayed as long as she could. And and Margot is gonna be in somebody's school shortly. Um, so I have faith in those two uh, a great deal. It's not that I don't have faith in my son, my sons, but they have they're on a different trajectory of things and thinking. Um and I think it takes boys a little longer to sort of uh see the big picture. <laughs> I will say it takes boys a little longer to see the big picture. Uh sometimes it'll take some 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 significant other to step in and say, okay, this is the big picture. And it can't be parents, you know. You have to allow them to, you know, and it's a very difficult thing as a parent to sort of allow them to flounder and to drown and to fall and to, you know, and, and, and see them grapple with things. But, but, but that's their, that, that, that is theirs to, to, to deal with. You know, I, and I talk with my girlfriends all the time. I, I never wanted to be the parent to sort of not give them the tools to sort of step into resiliency. And I think that's why we see so many young people who at the first sign of a hangnail fall to the ground and can't get back up and just are done <laughs> and no shade I, I appreciate that young people have language to speak to their mental health concerns I think that's a very possible a very that's a that's a that's a very positive thing but I think at the same time that the language of mental health has become co-opted um, as a as a barrier and a crutch um, to, to not be able to push forward. And I know there'll be people out there that argue with me, you know, and I'm saying, I appreciate that young people have language to say, I have anxiety I, I, and they've got diagnosis that, you know, that they didn't have before, like they could be bipolar and they could have, you know, all the things and, 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 the, and, and get the prescriptions for things. And, you know, uh, but I also think there's a manipulation of this language um, that keeps them from tapping into another component that could aid in their mental health. And that's called resiliency, you know? And I know there are kids that are hanging on, there are kids and people hanging on by a thread, hanging on by a thread who are not well and sort of need um, a community, you know? Um, so that, so that's why, that's why the, the three things that I think need our immediate attention is schools, prisons and community need, need our attention and, and and to think about what can we do you know how do we how do we make prisons a place where people come out of them come out of them and they have a leg up you know they have a they had some they have some lead time how do we how do we how do we convince people that that's that's the better alternative than to have somebody sitting in a damn jail cell for 24 for 23 out of 24 hours out of the day what <laughs> you know how do we because people think i'm gonna put people in prison out of sight out of mind you know how do we how do we set up communities so that we could be re receptacles of receiving positive stuff and putting out positive stuff rather than a place where you know, uh, uh, people don't look at each other. They don't talk to each other. And there are pockets of communities that are trying to do this work. Don't, don't give me, I see it. I'm part of it. 
you know, and then we have to do better by schools. And I don't have kids in schools anymore. So, and I know how hard it was for me to just stay on top of what I deem necessary educational supports for my children. And that was grueling, you know, and, and I worked. So anyway, I'm gonna take a break. I'm gonna come back. I'm talking to, uh, I'm talking cannabinoids with uh with the good uh with the good Dr. Uh, Keisha Winston. She's coming on at 10:15. We got to talk cannabinoids. Should we use them? What are they? What's the what's the word on them? What can they cure? I wouldn't know all the stuff. So I'm going to talk to the source. See what I can get into. So I'll be right back y'all hang in there. Thank y'all. Hi, this is Babs Rolls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut. And you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. a child with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhvvax.org. I'm Southern Connecticut basketball coach Scott Burrell, born right here in New Haven. I won an NBA championship with the Chicago Bulls, so I know a great defense is a game changer. That's why I support New Haven's Health Department's Take a Shot campaign to help defend teens against meningitis. Whatever your post-high school life is, take a shot now and help keep yourself, your friends, and your family safe and healthy. For more information, visit nhbbax.org.
Because I get to have Professor Winston on this morning. And I, I met Professor Winston hanging out at uh, Hairs K over there in the, the Munson Triangle. That's where I go get my hair colored and cut. She's the captain of my glam squad. And so uh, I'm over there all the time. And so I met uh, Professor uh, Kirsten, uh, I met Professor Winston over there uh, because uh, she was getting her hair done. Hey, uh, Dr. Keisha Winston, how are you? I'm fine, Babs. How are you? Fine. Are you, are you going to stay off camera? <laughs> I am. I, I, I am. Because even though you just told everybody I got my hair done, it's, it's, I'm not representing the fabulous Miss K right now. <laughs> so I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Because she is she is the, the, the leader of the glam squad. Yeah. I, listen, I know. I know. She, she, if, she's, if she's watching now or listening now, she'd be like, Babs, come here, get your hair colored. I know her. <laughs> She'll, and she'll it's send me like, a, why, why, Keisha, why aren't you showing your hair? She, she'll send me a text and I'll be like, okay, girl, I'm on my way. <laughs> so how you doing? I'm fine. How are you this morning? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted because when I met you in the salon, uh, we were having a conversation about cannabinoids, which I, I don't really know cannabinoids. I know pot. That's about it. <laughs> and, and I think that's probably just one part of it. Um, so cannabinoids is the scientific name for all the compounds that come from that cannabis plant. Okay. So that's why, uh, you know, scientifically, that's what I studied. So I call it cannabinoids. But same okay. thing, pot, weed, marijuana, you know, the marriage of wine, the chief. <laughs> Mary Jane. <laughs> yes, Mary Jane, all those names. So tell me, so tell me, Dr. Winston, how did you get involved? Like, how did you fall into studying about uh the uh cannabis okay i would just like to say just to give a disclaimer that yes i am jamaican my father's a rasta but i fell into this very innocently okay this was not a plan pre-birth irene man irene yes yeah. <laughs> um so i was in uh i went to northeastern university in boston and my major there was behavioral neuroscience and so uh, when I left there, I, I went to grad school. My, my goal was to just do, um, really my goal was to go to medical school. But when I got to my like fourth chemistry, I realized that that may not be the avenue for me. So uh, <laughs> I changed my trajectory and said, I, I, I'll go and get a doctorate instead. When I um, was applying to graduate school, I was introduced to the field of cannabinoids by um, what turned out to be one of my advisors. Um, his name is Dr. Macrianis. He runs uh, his own uh, pharmaceutical company called the Center for Drug Discovery, where he makes new synthetic cannabinoid compounds. His goal is to get them um, approved for medicinal use. So that's what I studied in grad school, the medicinal benefits of novel cannabinoid agents. Hmm. So, so are we doing it right? Like, are we are we right to be looking at this medicinally and, 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 and what 
uh, what are some of the the highlights of using it medicinally? Like, what are some of the things? Can it can it cure stuff? Can it alleviate stuff? It definitely can alleviate stuff. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it can cure anything. I don't want you know I don't want anybody to take that and run with it. So here's what here. Let me allow me Babs to jump on my soapbox really quickly. Get on it, girl. The cannabinoid, the brand of the class of compounds called cannabinoids are very strong medicinal agents in certain areas. So for example, the number one thing we use now in this country for pain relief are those opioid drugs. And now, you know, all of a sudden it's like opioid crisis. Well, I don't think it's really just all of a sudden. I think it has been developing over the past 15 years where doctors are throwing these opioids at people like Skittles. And mm-hmm. here we have another class of compounds called the cannabinoids, all right, that have a less deleterious effect on the body, that have the same and sometimes more of a medicinal value. And yes, it's a little bit more natural um, in terms of not having those negative effects. Um, and so these cannabinoids are good pain relievers. I think that we should really be looking at them to replace those opioids, so to speak, all right, because they do have really significant analgesic properties without having those bad effects. So for example, if you are on an opiate medication for a long period of time, it could cause serious side effects such as respiratory depression. What does that mean? That means, I don't know, your chest might cave in. Just little things like that. Do you know what I mean? Where cannabinoids, we've shown this in the research, do not have those significant deleterious effects if they are taken in the appropriate route of administration. So not smoking, you know, but orally, topically, those type of things. Okay. Because, you know, when I, when I, I had hip replacement surgery about two years ago, both hips, six months apart. And, um, and leading up to that, I, I was in so much pain because it was bone on bone. I was, I was, um, put on opioids and I, I absolutely hated them. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just absolutely hated them. So I never really took the dosage in the way that it was, um, prescribed for me because I just couldn't stand it. So I took it just enough to sort of get me past the pain so I could sleep. And then yeah. after that, I wouldn't take it during the day because I just didn't like the feeling of it. And then once I once I had the surgeries, I just got off of them. And they they were so surprised that I just got off of them without any residual effects. Effects and no craving or whatever for them. And I was like, because I don't like this stuff. So yeah. they're extremely, extremely addictive compounds. Yes. That's what that's what the doctor doesn't tell you when he writes the script. He's like, here, go ahead and take it. But he's not telling you there's a large possibility that you may become addicted to this drug. That's a lot of the that's really the majority of the way people get addicted to opioids is if they start with prescriptions. Yeah. Yeah. Car accidents or something like that. It starts with that pain. It's really just trying to get um, relief from the pain. And so, the opioids are good at that, but they just have very bad side effects. Yeah. I mean, I was constipated. I was constipated so much that I had to take two constipation medicines to combat it. Uh, I was like, see, it's like <laughs> it starts a sick cycle of like, you know, now you have to take drugs to deal with the side effects of the drug. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like a domino effect. I was like, 
I couldn't wait to get off those things. And so they wanted to get me into a study. Like, how did I, how did I just give these up so readily? And I was like, I, first of all, I don't have addictive personality. Second of all, I just couldn't stand it. Like I, right. I just begrudged, begrudged them at every turn. I was like, oh, I hate this. I hate this feeling. So, so talk to me about, uh, can people be addicted to cannabis? Yes. People okay. can be addicted to cannabis. I also believe though, that the addiction is tied into their lifestyle as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, so separately from being heavily addicted to opioids, I think your addiction to cannabis comes from, um, yes, you can be addicted to it, but also people envelope it into their lifestyle. You know what I mean? So people wake up and if they're using recreationally, you have people that use it all day, every day. Okay. So, and so psychologically now you're you're putting yourself in the predicament where psychologically you're thinking oh well I can't do this until I engage in in my cannabis do you see what I'm saying yeah I can't do this until I smoke oh no it's better when I smoke or it's better when I have the cannabinoids so I think that wraps up the addiction you know makes it a little bit more serious and a little bit more stronger Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well because we do you know we we have to think about and uh I'm always like, you know, cannabis, cannabinoids, the gift and the curse. The gift are the medicinal benefits that we can get from these drugs. But the curse is we need to think about how are we as a society, as a community, as medical health professionals, how are we rolling out now this drug that's now become approved almost nationwide? You know what I mean? Like, how are we presenting it to... um to the youth, I think that's where the curse comes in because now, see, before now legalization, you know, recreationally, weed was something that young people use. They like it. It's natural. We can do it. It grows from the earth. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. now that it's illegal, it's a free for all. And that's yes. where we do. yeah, that's that's that that's the curse part for me. That's where we need to appropriately roll this out. So that kids whose brains are still growing aren't sitting there, you know, getting stoned out of their minds and affecting who they will become because their brains are still growing. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? So yes. I think, um, you know, I, I'm happy that it is being approved for medicinal purposes and and being, um, you know, that stigma is being taken away from it. But also, I think we really need to be now more cognizant about how we are presenting this to the younger population so that they can be responsible users of it and not just free for all. Oh, it's legal now. Yay. I mean, listen, I've had students come to my class high, like, yeah, I just, I just smoked some pot. Like they feel comfortable enough to tell me their professor, <laughs> sorry, professor, I'm out of it. I just, I just smoked like what? <laughs> wow. So yeah. Yeah. So, and I heard you earlier talking about the impact of COVID on, you know, our educational system. I'm right there with you, Babs. Uh, really what happened is it stopped for two years. Education stopped for it did. two years. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and that's where kids stopped. They are there because now my freshmen are really seventh graders. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think we won't know the fallout and the repercussions of the COVID 
effect on uh, students for a, a while. I mean, I think yeah. we're starting to see the I, the tip of it, but I think we've got a we've got a. Uh, I mean, I think ten years out, we're going to see how this really affected. Yeah, kids. we won't know till the first batch graduates from college, and then <laughs> unfortunately, we're going to have to learn the hard way. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk to me about the uses because I I see a lot of. Uh, I'm fascinated by how people swear by topical stuff like mm -hmm. ointments on their skin. Like if you have arthritis, it's good for arthritis. If you have some other kind of thing and, you know, how do, how do, and how do people learn what is in their best interest? Well, with this class of compounds, people typically learn by just doing, but now that we have it now somewhat regulated in terms of dispensaries, now people can go and they can see what it is that they're using because when you go to a dispensary and you purchase a product, you have detailed um, information on the actual product. This is what's in there. These are the percentages of what's in there. So now you know what you're getting as opposed to just trusting the person you're getting it for like, oh, I made this in my kitchen. Trust it. You know what I mean? Um, and yes, the topical things do work for most people. They help to alleviate the pain, alleviate spasticity, tightness in your muscles and, and joints and things of that nature. They, they do really work well for some people. Wow. And, and it's so, the levels, the levels of cannabinoids. See, there, there are hundreds of cannabinoids, but we've only really um, learned about, you know, maybe 80, 90, so to speak. But we know that that number one cannabinoid that we know about is Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol or Delta 9 THC. That's the most psychoactive. That's what gives people that high. Mm -hmm. But we also have other cannabinoids like that CBD cannabidiol. All right. That gives us that medicinal value. And it doesn't make us high. No, no, it does not make us high. So seriously, the goal really with, with these compounds is medicinal compounds is to take out that psychoactive effect, but keep keep that medicinal value keep mm -hmm. that cbd effect going you know because because if you're trying to get alleviation from your glaucoma my 93 year old grandmother she probably doesn't want to be high you know she probably just <laughs> she probably just wants to alleviate the glaucoma pressure oh, okay and i we, see we have see here's what people don't understand is that we have our own naturally occurring cannabinoid system in our brains in our body oh Yes, yes. We have endogenous can cannabinoid system. That's how these drugs are able to work with us so well. And the receptors for these cannabinoids, both endogenous and exogenous, are all over our brains, our bodies, all over our brains, all over our immune systems, all over our bodies, in the reproductive system, you know, in your digestive system, everywhere, in your central nervous systems. And your immune systems, these receptors for these compounds are everywhere. And so these naturally occurring cannabinoids that we have in our bodies, two main ones that are called uh, anandamide and 2-AG, 2-arachidonoglycerol, so that's a long name, so it's called 2-AG, they have significant functions. So for example, if we have some kind of trauma happen in our brains, these endogenous cannabinoids are like first responders. They do have neuroprotective effects in our brains. 
So these are things that people don't know, but we have to look at. We have to study because this is such potential for medicinal value without having those deleterious effects like the opioid drugs do. Mm. So you could you could use this to treat um, some of that mental health uh, trauma that people had, like bipolar and anxiety and anxiety. Definitely, yes, yes. Could use it without, to treat without anxiety. being high. Yes, yes, without being high. So take out that psychoactive effect, and then we keep that medicinal value. That's the goal, really. Yeah. Wow. These drugs are also useful in a lot of neurological and immune system illnesses. So for example, I, I have multiple sclerosis. Oh, these drugs are really valuable in symptom treatment for multiple sclerosis as well. Things like multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, ALS, lupus, lupus. Lupus? Yep. Lupus as well. Yeah. So, so are there are there factions of scientists working on these kinds of hopeful discoveries in terms of usage and for medicine and maybe uh, alleviating some of the symptoms that come along with some of these um, diseases and Ill- illnesses? Absolutely. I was one of those illnesses, those scientists when I was in grad school. But yeah, absolutely. They are scientists that are working on this every day. Cannabinoid research. And so why do you why do you think it gets such a well, first of all, let me ask you this, Dr. Winston. Were you surprised at how swiftly uh they 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 allowed uh, the acceptance of 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 the of the of marijuana and pot to be sold? in dispensary at first it was just you could you could only get it medicinally but now you could just walk up to dispensers dispensaries and just get what you like yeah um I, I, i'm fascinated by that because it was so policed so heavily policed for so long and people went to jail for long periods of time yeah yeah and, and still still in there and still trying can... to figure out how to get them out right so just let them out i think you should just let them out like seriously my tax dollars are being wasted on those people that are in there for 20 years because of those mandatory minimums because they had you know a gram of weed mm. you just took somebody's whole life away yes for something that's now legal and you know in some states they are uh, folks who have been locked up have first opportunity or first rights to have a dispensary or have the ability to sell it legally. They had that here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how successful it's been. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know either. Um, but um, your initial question was. Um, was am I surprised by how quickly? Yes. Let me tell you, Babs, when I started this research, when I started grad school back in whatever, because I'm young, um, (laughs) uh, even within the scientific community, it was kind of a little taboo. So I would go to these conferences and I would be presenting on my research or my lab research and people would be like, really? Cannabinoids? Really? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I am floored at how now it's just like, boom, all of a sudden 
widespread and, and so popular. And now we have universities that are creating uh, cannabis cultivation programs. You know, University of New Haven now has like this whole cannabis certification program. I'm like, oh, really? Like I'm right here. Hello. So people can people can grow their own. People can learn how to grow their own and how to, you know, grow it well and and properly and all that good stuff. Wow. Yeah. I just find that all fascinating. I think it's I think it's so interesting that and that just shows you how America is that they went from this is a horrible, horrible situation to now this is great. Almost overnight. And it's not lost on me that we are not the ones, people of color are not the ones benefiting wholly from from these turn of events. We're not. No, Mm. we're not. I mean, I was a cannabinoid researcher. I don't seem to be benefiting that, but I'm, (laughs) I'm happy that the information is out there now, though, that this is not such a bad class of of compounds and that there is something to um, go up against those opioid drugs. And do you find that doctors are starting to get some awareness and some education about how to prescribe these kinds of uh, 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 these these cannabinoids? as opposed to opioids? Because opioids seems to be the first line of defense. First thing they go to. First thing they go to, they're going to put you on some morphine, right? Or the Percocets or the Percodans or the Oxys. And, you know, um, I do think so. So I recently gave um, a talk to, two talks at Yale. One to the faculty fellows form in addiction medicine and the other to the neuroimmunology fellows and faculty. And yeah, I... From just those talks, I see with the questions that I receive from the MDs, I see that they are taking it seriously, that they are trying to figure out how is the proper way now to, now they can suggest and prescribe in these kind of compounds to their patients. Because mm-hmm. those are most of the questions that I got, like, how do you think we should start it out? How do we know if an individual can tolerate it? Those type of questions, those were the questions I was getting. Wow. And so when you hear those kinds of questions, that means they are really thinking about this as a a real option. Yes. Yes. And I'm excited about that because you should not be on opioids for more than maybe six months. You know, there you have people who have been on opioids for years. That's breaking your body down. Stop it. I don't know how they could. I swear to God. (laughs) (laughs) Those drugs are heavy, man. They What? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I could not walk around all day feeling like that. Like that no. was not a good feeling. I oh my god. No, if I could it definitely messes with your your mind. I mean, it, it definitely takes over your central nervous system, you know? You feel it when you're on one of those drugs. Yes, you do. You do. I mean, you do. And Percocets and Oxycontin has been a, around for a very long time. I remember having those drugs for like, you know, and I had my wisdom teeth pulled and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I yeah, never got addicted. They're quick too, to just write that script and, and get a significant milligram dosage. And I'm just like, no, because, you know, I think that MDs need to think about, sometimes they just write the script, but they're not thinking about the individual. Some people are genetically predisposed to addiction. Yeah. I might not want to give them the opiate script. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. 
That's interesting because I, I went to a whole pain management facility to talk about the level of pain that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess that was part of like, if they're going to write me opioids, I had to go and, you know, and I, you know, they were like, oh, if you do this, you can't have alcohol and you can't whatever, whatever. And I was like, okay, fine. But, you know, uh, I, I just, I just found it very interesting, the whole pain management component. Um, but no one talked to talked to me about cannabinoids or anything like that. See, and that that's what needs to change because we need to be able to present people with another option. Yeah, because there's people who just want the pain to be alleviated and not be high. Exactly, and really with the with the opioids, with those oxys and those percocets, percodans, no matter what, you do feel a little a little high, you know what I mean? Some people don't, but usually if you're just the average person and you've never really taken those drugs, that they're going to hit you heavy. You know what I mean? As opposed to say a cannabinoid drug that probably won't hit you as heavy because if we take out that psychoactive effect, you're really just getting the medicinal value. If anything, Mm -hmm. you might feel very relaxed in your body, but that's what you want because you want the pain to go away. Mm. So, and so, um, where do you where do you see where do you see uh medicine going in in regards to cannabinoids like like how 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 easy do you want it to be a part of society like what i mean we, we can we can we can almost buy stuff over the counter <laughs> yeah right listen i went into my local gas station and you can buy products there I don't know if I want it to be that accessible. You know what I mean? If we are really thinking about, um, like I said, rolling it out for the youth, I do want it to be like, I want the class of compounds to be respected as a medicinal agent. And I want it to be treated as such. I don't want it to be a free for all. Um, I don't currently have children, I have godchildren, but I don't want like my 10 year old godchild being able to go to the gas station and purchase, you know, some some uh marijuana so how do we how do we have conversations with young people about i mean i guess it's the same conversation you would have with young people about alcohol use or or any other kind of drug use um how do you have these conversations because i i just get the sense dr winston i could be really wrong but i see kids high all the time like i smell it like they walk by and it's like down the street it's a cloud i pull up to cars and it is so strong it gets into my car like i got it in my car like like what like how do we how do we solve for x in this whole who who gets to use it when do people get to use it do i want my school bus driver on it right during the business hours do i want you know the nurse who is administering care to me to be on something like i where are we going with it? How do we, how do we, I mean, we've, we've opened the gate. How do we sort of close the gate or do we ever close the gate now? Well, now I think that we're a little past closing the gate. Cause I think that we opened the floodgates and just, rah, you know what I mean? I think now we need to try to scale back and have some order to the chaos. You know, I, I think that people got really excited at first and I was like, yes, finally, you know, cause they wanted this for so long. 
But now I really think we need to start that conversation in schools. We need to educate young people on the real benefits and the real negatives, the positives and the negatives of these drugs. And more importantly, we need to educate them on root of administration because I think that's one of the big, big downfalls is that the majority of young people, the way in which they ingest their cannabis, their marijuana is through smoking. Yeah. And so because of that, what we're going to see moving forward are more um, cardiac issues, more, you know, lung issues, things related to that situation. And so we really need to be thinking about um, how are we going to properly educate now people going forward on those things so that they can make more informed decisions about their use of cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so do you think that, uh, you know, Dr. Winston, people who are, who are like, you know, doing this at work, maybe not the, maybe not the stuff that gets you high, but the other stuff. I mean, do you think we go back to policing people with, you know, when and where they could use it and, I think that if you're using a CBD agent, that you're okay. I don't think that it's affecting your psyche where you cannot think at work. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean out there, people listening, that you double, triple up. That's not what I said. You know, maintain your regular dose. Okay. So don't don't do the mile thing because I gave you an inch. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that if people are engaging in the psychoactive component, that they should should do that like they drink you know what I mean like like you wouldn't you, drink on your job right exactly. like you wouldn't drink a like you're gonna, to your desk exactly you're not going to drink a fifth before you go into work you should not you know what I mean save it for your wind down before you go to sleep at night hmm. like just be realistic about it you know because listen when you are um when you are high with the psychoactive component that THC no you're not thinking as clearly as you would if you weren't just let's be honest, you know? And so I think they should approach it the way that, uh, like alcohol, even though I have my own issues with the way we approach alcohol in this country too, because it's one of the most horrible drugs, but we have whole stores devoted to it. <laughs> we, we do. Listen, we do. those alcohol commercials, I tell my students, I'd be like, listen, you see those Bacardi commercials? I want to be on the boat on the beach too. Yeah. Yes. They are enticing. That's the point. If we can Although get- I've not seen I've not seen um branded marijuana cannabinoid. Yeah, not yet. yet. Not yet. I'm hoping we don't get there. I'm hoping that we really just try to maximize the medicinal that listen, if we really America does this properly and really just take it for the medicinal value of it, we could be replacing a deleterious class of compounds called those opioids that are causing our society a whole lot of problems right now yeah that's what people need to think about it i think i don't know i don't i I, i'm not sure america will do what's right no (laughs) probably not i i know there's somebody chopping at the bit some company that is chopping at the bit to put out an ad saying this particular brand or product or whatever i feel like that's i feel like it's already in process and progress yeah i think so because I, I, and I, you know, I'm way older than you, Professor Winston, but when I was a kid, I remember cigarette commercials. Oh, yeah. I remember you know. cigarette commercials. 
do you remember when you would get on the plane and people would just like and we'll be smoking yes yes <laughs> remember the smoking section in restaurants I mean people told yes. me I'm like, wow I didn't experience that myself because I'm young but I'm just saying <laughs> no I remember smoking sections in, in restaurants and oh my god so now so now I feel like you know history repeats itself but in different ways now I'm thinking are we going to have that now in the future? But now with marijuana, are people going to be like hitting their, you know, their uh, their pipes and, and their uh, pens in the restaurant? Can I sit in the smoking section? Wow. wow. I hope that that'd be a little too much. It would be a lot. It would be a lot. be a little too much. Well, I, I so appreciate this conversation. You have shed some light on some things for me. So now I'm going to, now I feel like I could confidently go in and, and look at some, some, some medicinal things. Yes, yes, you could do. They have edibles, they have the creams, they have topicals, tinctures, everything. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to do a little shopping. I, I mean, I've tried some things. <laughs> I've tried some edibles because there's a whole farm somewhere that I bought stuff from, which I was quite pleased. Um, okay. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what this is like. And a friend of mine sent me when I was having some, uh, when I was initially having joint pain, they sent me some topical cream stuff to to use. And I yeah, was like, works. all right. Yeah, so I was the like, cream okay, works. Listen, if you use it properly, it works for what you're using it for. It, it okay. is. A, it's a good medicinal agent. We take out that psychoactivity. This is a good medicinal um, drug. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Professor Keisha Winston. I want you to come back because I, I know there's more to talk about. I would love to come back. This has been so much fun. I want you to come back and talk more about this because I think one show is just not enough. I think, and I know people are going to call me and ask about this. So, so I, I want, I want to have another show. So let's yeah, do a let's, call show. Yes, let's do it. Let's do all it. Right. So, Let all right, my dear. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, everybody. This is uh, Professor Keisha Winston at uh, University of New Haven. And uh, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, Harry Drills. Thank you very much. I hope you learned a thing or two. <laughs> I will see you soon, Dr. Winston. Yeah, I'll see you. You at the
Feeling to the wheels, guys. 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 Feeling to the wheels